I had a choice between Michelle Mathot or Kyle Bukowskis as a driver today. Took Mathot. By a mile. Smart move. Kyle probably drives like a grandmother. Elliot, we'll start with the scene set. We are in Ottawa. We are at Brook Street. Spent a lot of great nights here. When I first came to Hockey Night in Canada, did a lot of Sanders games. Same here. So this was the first hotel that I stayed at. My first night doing rinkside yeah. on Hockey Night in Canada. Used to stay out here. December 29, 2008, Ottawa Senators facing off against Bruce Boudreaux and the Washington Capitals. So I have a soft spot in my heart for Brook Street. I remember a late night party that ended up at the Yacht Club. And that is a story for another podcast. Ooh, is that for a summer special when we have nothing to talk about? Elliot's Yacht Club <laughs> That'll stories? That'll be one of my last podcasts I ever do. All right. Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by GMC and the Sierra AT4X, Delich, Merrick, and Elliot Friedman. Congratulations, Bobcats. Quinnipiac, yes. heck of a game on Saturday night, the big comeback. And uh, for those, I got the tweets. I'm sure you did as well. Uh, screen cap of Rod Brindamore in the stands at yep. Emily Arena. He made it. So congratulations uh, to the Brindamore family, to Skyler, and to uh, Quinnipiac. They are the national champions. Unbelievable game. Rand Pecknold, who's been coaching there for a long time, so we were watching it on one of our feeds along with the other games we were watching. And when he pulled the goalie with about three and a half minutes to go, people were debating, whoa, that's early, that's early. And yeah. they scored. You know, and then I think he said after the game he might have even done it earlier. Mm-hmm. But it was a gutsy call. And then, of course, they won on the, the face-off play in overtime. And Kevin Bieksa actually took a little whiteboard and diagrammed the play for us. And he showed us exactly what happened and how they were able to get the one player so open to score the winning goal. It was uh, it was a great game. I mean, you know, right now we're all focused on the NHL because we're heading into the last week of the season. But you get a great NCAA final, and you've got Regina, Saskatoon, Connor Bedard, Game Seven on Monday night. There's some other hockey out there providing some incredible moments. Some fantastic hockey too. And uh, I, I do want to point out, I got a lot of tweets about this. Uh, I'm sure you did as well. I'm sure they did a hockey night. The second intermission was the was a little bit light this week. There wasn't uh, the the gravity of information that people are accustomed to yes. uh, in the early game. But nonetheless, we'll get to all your points from from Saturday night wait as a second, well. Wait a second, wait a second. First of all, before we talk about that, I wanted to say <laughs> we tried to give you a shout out. Oh, I know. And so you give us bad info, bad information. For there, I'm sitting at there at the rink in Kingston, so my son's team the Stovall Clippers are playing in the OMHAs that's the the provincial playdowns and I'm texting with Elliot and I'm ha- normally when you and I text with each other I kind of get the sense that we're sort of using maybe a quarter of our brain when we text with yes. each other I was using maybe about a half of that and texted you that he plays for the Stovall Spirit mm-hmm. he plays for Stovall Clippers the Stovall Spirit the Junior A team uh, that's where Zach Corte one of our bosses Rob Corte's son mm. plays so uh, and I love the Stovall Spirit and shout out Kenny Burrows and the whole crew there there, but I had that on my mind, so I apologize. Bad info coming from me, but I'm a bad broadcaster and a bad hockey dad. How about that? Two oh, for you know, two. It's a good combination. <laughs> you know, Jeff, one of the things I want to mention about Quinnipiac is yes. they've got some players. Mm-hmm. Skylar Brendamore, Rod's son, the Oilers have to make a decision. The thing they like best about him is he's a Brendamore. I think Brindamore's going to have to decide, is Edmonton the best path for him? Because I, I, like I've said before, I think the vultures are circling. The way he's shocking, played. Shocking. I think there's going to be some teams saying, if you go free agency, we're interested. And there's a couple of other, the guy who scored the tying goal, Colin Graff, 
undrafted. I, I've heard a lot of teams have looked at him and the goalie, Yanev Peretz from Quebec. I've heard like Florida is a team that could be interested in those kinds of guys, but I, I don't think they're going to be the only ones. All right, so we're going to get to some of the second intermission things that you talked about as well. And uh, a Nola Chari interview coming up at the end of the podcast. You sat down with Nola Chari, the Toronto Maple Leafs, last week uh, at the Maple Leafs practice facility. In the meantime, all 32 teams in action on Saturday. Plenty of storylines, plenty of drama, some heartbreak for some teams as well. More questions heading into a new week, whether it was, you know, Nashville, Winnipeg, whether it was Carolina, Buffalo whether it was Panthers Capitals, whether it was Penguins Red Wings, whether it was the Islanders Philadelphia, or whether it was Calgary and Vancouver, no shortage of storylines here. A lot of teams holding serve, some taking a slight step backwards. Uh, And let's start there. The Calgary Flames and the Vancouver Canucks, that's one that Calgary needs to win out. They do. And the thing about Vancouver is, you know, Rick Tockett and Ian McIntyre did a really good interview on sportsnet.ca where Tockett basically established that we have to have a mindset. There's a certain way we have to prepare to play. And there's a big debate in Vancouver about rebuilding or trying to make the playoffs. And I really like Tockett's answer about that because I think it encapsulates how a lot of coaches think. Like he says, it's it's my job to win games, basically. It's my job to put the mentality and the framework in place to win games. And Vancouver's done that. And, you know, to me, that's the most maddening thing about the Calgary Flames is you just don't know what to expect. They got killed in that game in, in Los Angeles. Then they came back and they got hot. They put themselves in position. They lose that game to Chicago on Tuesday. Nobody can believe it. Even the Blackhawk fans are mad because they want yeah. the best odds at, at Connor Bedard. Then they come back and have a, a really tremendous performance against Winnipeg. And then that. There is Toffoli. He's a Canuck killer. He needs to score. Wide onto the left wing. In on Demko. Shoots the Canuck goaltender. Stopped him. Vancouver wins. And they stick a dagger into the hearts of the Flames' playoff hopes. Good game by the Canucks. Play spoilers. Calgary probably needed more early. They didn't show up until the third period, and I think it bit them in the butt. And that's part of the part of the problem they've had all year, just not showing up enough. You know, I don't think there's any shame in losing to Vancouver, but I don't like the way it happened. They started slow. They were down 2 nothing. They came back. They get a point out of it. The overtime was absolutely bazonkers. It was great entertainment to watch. But 16 overtime or shootout losses this year for the Flames, which is incredible. But I think whenever this Flames season ends and the Jets need just three points now in their final three games to clinch the final berth, whenever this season ends, I think Calgary's going to look back at a bunch of games this year and say, we should have won that one and played well enough to win it, but lost. You mentioned the shootout and overtime losses, and I kind of... There's one stat that people talk about a lot, certainly this time of year, and say they're learning how to play playoff hockey. You know, one-goal games or playoff style. And I kind of look at that sideways, Elliot, and I say to myself, if you're winning a lot of one-goal games, how good are you? I get that it's, it's a... It's a 3-2 league, Jeff. I get that it's a playoff score. Yeah. But I'm much more impressed with, you know, we rattled off three wins in a row, each by three goals. Like you're playing, yeah, like but Calgary's who, who playing wins with games like that. Now? Some teams do. Like we just saw Winnipeg before they played the Calgary game last week, and you saw how they were curb stomping Twice. teams. 
I always look at teams that are winning one goal games and say, you're playing with fire. I, I'm, all I'm saying really, Elliot, is I don't put as much stock in how many one goal games we've won mm-hmm. as a lot of other people do. But nonetheless, by the way, to the idea of coaches coaching to win at all times, I don't know that we've ever had this discussion. And this is purely anecdotal. And I'm sure maybe someone's done the research for it and can say that I'm either full of it or I'm on the mark about this one. That stopped being a thing around the same time that it became too difficult for the GM and the coach to be the same person. Because the general manager can do certain things with the roster to not assure losses, but massage losses. And when you have that dual portfolio as coach and general manager, you can do things that will help at the manager's suite more so than the coach's level. You agree with that one? Just anecdotally, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but once the separation between GM and coach became profound and you can't do it anymore because the responsibilities are too large, the idea of coaches coaching to lose, because we have seen it before, Elliot, that kind of went away. You know, I, I think the only way you can coach to lose is, number one, is if you have incredible security. Like if you're in year one of a five-year deal, I don't think you coach to lose, but I think you at least understand where your team is and its evolution and you can tolerate it a little bit better. I think if you're in an organization that expects to win or you're coming to the end of a contract, it's a lot harder to accept mm-hmm. that you know your team might not win or your team might not care to win. So I think it all comes down to your security and do you feel that you have a guarantee from your organization that it won't be held against you if your team has a terrible season. That's the only way you can do it. Winnipeg beats Nashville. Yeah. Onto the far side for Shifley, up top, Nemestikov, dropped it for Shifley, rotates high slot, right down Main Street, shooting, score! Mark Shifley with his 40th of the year! That was a great game by the Jets. Great game by Nick Ehlers, too. Ehlers was fantastic. Shifley finds the back of the net for his 40th. The Winnipeg Jets create some separation here, and man, I feel bad for the Nashville Predators. Inching closer, inching closer, right there, and then they run into that Winnipeg Jets team on Saturday. I agree with you on Ehlers. I've always been a big Ehlers guy. I think the guy is really gifted. I thought a lot of Winnipeg's great players were really good on Saturday night. You know, Jeff, when on Saturday nights, it's very hard for me to pay attention to games before the end of the second period because we're working on our yep. segment. And when you're not there and and uh, I don't have my security blanket, Merrick, it's even worse. I'm, I'm even less. <laughs> I'm even less paying attention. But Hip Charlie Brown reference there. <laughs> every time I looked up in that game between Winnipeg and Nashville, the Jets were swarming yeah. and having unbelievable chances. Like I think Hellebuck should win the Vesna. He's my guy. I know it makes me really popular in certain markets in the NHL right now. But, you know, Saros is close. And the fact that that game was only two to nothing, he was under siege all night. Ehlers hit three posts. But I just thought Winnipeg's best players exerted their will. And that makes that loss to Calgary the other night even more ridiculous to me because they've done it like three times in the last week where they've just pummeled teams, just pummeled them. And I thought once they got going on Saturday – They were better. You know, I'm really curious to see this Winnipeg team if they get in because I think that in these teams, once you get in, you take a deep breath 
and you're like, okay, the pressure's over. We're in now. If you're like the seven or eight seeds. And I'm really curious to see if Winnipeg gets in and they can reset, will we see this more often? Or will a good team just dismantle them? Because, you know, Brian Spear, the producer, showed a graphic. They were tied for third in the league in the middle of January. Oh, yeah. Now, I've looked at some of the numbers, and I've had people tell me they felt that was a little bit of a mirage, which is kind of why I think that Hellebuck is the, the Vesna guy. But they're better than they've shown since then. And I'm curious to see if they get in. But I watch games like that one and some of the games they've had this week, and I can't believe where's that been. The other thing, Jeff, is I really feel is watching bonus the last couple of days. Like, I've been in media. I can see, like, because he popped off that one night after San Jose because he was so pissed off, the questions are, okay, when you're asking the question, you're wondering, are you going to get an answer that's, Along those lines, because it's the big sound bite, right? Bonus been going out of his way to sound more positive, more upbeat. They need that now. Like, I'm watching Cooper in Tampa, and, you know, he's really grinding them right now. And, you know, Cooper's a great coach who's got the pulse of that team, but I'm a person who believes it can go too far. In this generation, you can't throw the hammer all the time. And I think Cooper sees it right before the playoffs. He's worried about Toronto. But I think that team is so mature mm-hmm. that you you have to say, okay, I have to let off the rain. And I, I think Bonus saw that too in Winnipeg. Doesn't that speak to what we talked about last podcast about Winnipeg and how they're wound tight and they need some type of release valve? Yeah. Coach can either give you the release valve or not. Yeah. And clearly there's a release valve there. I had a boss and... uh he was the kind of boss, and Kelly Rudy used to say Al Arbor was like this too. When you did well, he was all over you. When you had a bad day or something went wrong, that's when he was at his best in terms of treating you well and making and uplifting you. They can't always be like that. Like I understood why Bonus reacted the way he did that night in San Jose, but I do think there's a real skill to that, Jeff. It's like... It's going badly. I can't make it worse. And I think bonus hit that point. Eastern Conference. Yep. And the theme has been hold serve. Yeah. And we saw this. Like This is coming right down to the wire here. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody in contention, when everyone with, with playoff spots right now wins. So it was Panthers over the caps. 4-2. Matthew Kachuk with uh, his 40th. Can't clear it himself. Kachuk along. Shot. He scores. He scores from along the boards. Matthew Kachuk. He intercepted the goaltender's clearing attempt. He put it on net and he scores. And the Panthers take a 3-2 lead with one minute to play. Alex Lyon continues to be a story with 22 saves. Uh, Pittsburgh Penguins over the Detroit Red Wings 5-1. Tristan Jari, 19 saves. Sidney Crosby, congratulations on getting to point 1,500. Feeds Crosby at the left circle. He'll rip it. Scores! And shine that spotlight on Sid. The 15th player to 1,500 points in NHL history. Two goals and one assist there. And the Islanders, 4-0 over the Philadelphia Flyers. Islanders trying to get it out. Can't sealers. Left point shot. Got the back glass with five. To the far boards now. Flyers, one last chance. The horn sounds. And the New York Islanders 
shut out the Philadelphia Flyers by the final score of four to nothing for Ilya Sorokin. It's his league leading sixth shutout of the year, and he has his 30th win of the season. Bracket the Islanders conversation for a second, Elliot, yes. because I want to get to Bo Horvat in a sec. But your thoughts on, and we should throw Buffalo into this mix too. Rasmus Dallin, who was fantastic. That entire game with highlight after highlight with three points, Casey Middlestat with a pair of goals as well. They beat the Carolina Hurricanes, shade them four to three. This thing's coming right down to the bitter end for these teams. And I'm all for it. I want entertainment. Please me, Jeff. Please me. <laughs> you know, you know the, the Western one, it looks like the Jets have a stranglehold on that one, though we'll see. Yeah. But the East one, like we're all checking schedules. Who's got who? That Carolina-Florida game on the last night of the season, what if both the division and the playoffs comes down or to up that for grabs? Game? Yeah, I know. Like that—that's one of the things I'm looking at here. Like Colorado, Winnipeg. If that game matters, what kind of lineup is Colorado going to have on there for the Jets? Mm-hmm. Like that's the big debate. I remember in baseball, this used to happen all the time. Like if one team's out in September and the other team's in, trying to battle for the playoffs, do you dress your best lineup right? I think you do what's best for yourself because I'm very selfish. But hmm. I think this East race is phenomenal. I, I think it's fantastic. It's what we all want. It's what we all want. What we all need. We need entertainment now. It's April. We need entertainment. I mean, Florida's got the toughest schedule. Yep. Like I said, I think the Islanders are getting in because they got the best goaltending. My question is, Florida or Pittsburgh? Who gets more saves? So you're saying this is more interesting than last season in the East when we knew the playoff teams by, points. by Christmas? <laughs> and, and Bettman said this is why you're never getting a play-in because they were 20 points back? Uh, are you going to make the case for play-in again? Oh, you know, I'll make the case for play-in until I croak. Bo Horvat, after the Islanders-Philadelphia game, talking to Shannon Hogan, Serena. said this. How does this rank for you in playoff pushes the excitement of this building and the fans involvement over the last couple of games yeah i mean it's been unbelievable it's a lot better than vancouver i'll tell you that for free <laughs> thanks Bo. thank you guys <laughs> i look at that elliot and i say that is a guy who might have wanted to say this all along when he thinks back at the frustration uh that he felt with the vancouver canucks and it just came out I don't think this was anything planned. I think this was maybe someone that just got caught up after a big win and just said, bleep it. It's how I'm feeling. Sometimes I think people forget that these are going to go viral, right? It's like the player who's from the Czech Republic who does an interview with yeah. a small town media outlet or newspaper in back home and they think no one's ever going to see this and it goes viral. And I would bet that's what Horvat thought. He's, he thought he was speaking just to the... Islander faithful, and it would never go anywhere. But of course, because he's poking Vancouver, and you know how the Canucks fans are going to react. Like a Roman candle. I know. It's like, <laughs> oh, bull, red cape. <laughs> I said this on Saturday night, and I'll say it again. Like We all complain. Oh, hockey players are too boring. They never say anything. And then when they say something, everybody jumps all over them. Like, big deal. Chris Weidman also stepped We're in. Getting on, there, don't worry. Saturday We're night, getting but, there. Okay, we'll get there in a sec. But you know, the one thing about Horvat, I really think is that, and this is my opinion, Jeff, and you can tell me if you think I'm wrong. I think he's happy in New York. I still think there's probably some level of I can't believe how it ended in Vancouver. Totally agree. I remember I went on uh, the Donnie and Dolly show early in the season. You know, they asked me, "What do you think 
Bo Horvat's number is. And I said, Sean Couturier, which is 7.75 or whatever it is. And I said, look, he's a top center in the NHL. And he hadn't even scored at the pace he was scoring at yet that this year. And people out there were like, you're nuts. Like, he's not even a $7 million player. And I don't think the Canucks ever got anywhere close to that number. Has he moved on? Yes, I think he's moved on. But there's still probably a small part of him that's like, you know what, I'm I'm disappointed or hurt or whatever that I didn't get that offer, it was never close, and the fans seem to understand it. And, you know, I think that's all baked into that pie. But the number one thing I really think, and, and, and Ron said this on Saturday night, and I think he's right, is he thought he was just doing an interview to the crowd in Long Island, and he was, yes, yeah. sorry, not in, Long, not in Long Island, on Long Island, and he was pumping them up, and yeah. next thing you know, it's all over the internet. That was a surprise, a shock for everybody, I assure you. Okay, so you mentioned Chris Weidman. So yeah. this is, uh, the Maple Leafs had their way with the Montreal Canadiens uh, on Saturday night. They bring in Jet Alexander, who's the e-bug, Ilya Samsonov. I mean, there were questions whether he was going to come out for the third um, as well. So Alexander goes in in the, the dying minute yeah. uh, of the game, and Chris Weidman asked about it afterwards, says... They'll get what they deserve in a few weeks, referencing the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs and the first round. First of all, we now know that Chris Weidman has bet on the Lightning. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously, I, I disagree with him on this one. I, I think it's a great moment. Jed Alexander, there's some people who think this whole e-bug thing or ATO, in this case, amateur trial thing is ridiculous. I don't know. Like, I think it's such a good story. Like, look, you have to manage the cap. There's some people who think it's ridiculous. There's other people who, whenever I talk about things like this, say, hey, there's 32 teams out there with a salary cap. They have to manage the cap. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to hear that this isn't right or anything like that. The other thing to me that was weird about this night was Keith saying that... At what point did you start considering putting Jack in the game? Uh, It was not my decision. And and, uh, word came down to me about... 30 seconds before the whistle came and uh, and uh, made it happen. Whose decision was it? That's not important. Like, that was creating something out of nothing. It was kind of weird about I thought that was a whole weird thing. But I, how can you not like that? How can you not be happy for somebody like that who gets that kind of an opportunity? It's a 7-1 game. Kid might not get another chance. Like, is that what we've come to? Could you see where the other team, like, it's one thing. I'll get to that in to a second. To get pumped the way Montreal was, and then you bring in the e-bug. I'll get to that in a second. Like, is that the equivalent of, like, a big celebration on goal number seven no, in a 7-1 blowout? It, no, it's not. Well, there's another thing in this game. Like, I guess some people were upset that the Leafs had their top power play out there yep. in a 6-1 game. That one I've seen cause problems before. You know who's referenced that before? John Tortorella yeah. with the Philadelphia Flyers. There have been times where the Flyers have been getting pumped yeah. and the other team has put out PP1 in a blowout in the third period and Tortorella has said, noted, this will play itself out later and you'll know why. Like I'm very closely watching, like when the Philadelphia Flyers turn a corner here, and I don't know when that's going to be, but I'll be very curious to see how they treat other teams that have taken advantage of a very weakened Philadelphia Flyer squad because there have been teams that have thrown out power play one in blowout games. And Tortorella has always said, noted, 
watch what happens in the future. Like, I get that one. But, like, you know, where are we that, you know, this kid gets a dream moment? The players were happy for him on the Leafs. The fans wanted to see it. Like, what about the kid in Edmonton? Like, it was... Matt Berlin. What have we come to that we have to crap on moments like that? Kid's going to remember it for years. His family's going to remember it for years. It's going to be a great memory. Like, I don't, I don't understand people who need to dump on moments like that. Now, the Weidman thing... He very much feels offended. Like, at that point, you're turning this game into a fantasy camp moment for a player who otherwise wouldn't be in the NHL. Okay, look, while I disagree with Weidman's stance on this, the thing that I'm talking about more is I made a mistake of looking at the discourse on this on Saturday night. Oh, come on, that's fun. No, and I was like, I was like, I cannot (laughs) believe people who are dumping on this. Like, be happy for someone. Okay, Weidman, I disagree with his point, but I, I do understand that. Like, Jeff, I'll tell you this. Like, I think it can be true that what the Leafs did for Alexander was a great thing, and if I was on the other team, I'd freaking hate it. I think both things can be true. I think, like, if you're a competitor and you just lost 7-1 to one, and the team is dancing all over you like the Maple Leafs did, and you see that guy going in, it, right after a game, I would be pissed off. Like, Pizzetta. Pizzetta's celebration, sitting here as a media member, when he scored and did the Tiger Williams after the shootout, I loved it. If I was on the other team, I might have wanted to like run over him in my car after the game. I think both things can be true. Again, I don't I don't understand why people have to dump on people's great moments. I don't get it. The reason I love it is because it adds a layer of animosity. And what have we talked about? Yeah, meaningless that. games create another layer of animosity. There's going to be a response from Montreal. Mm-hmm. There's go- there's going to be like there's going to be a time where and who knows like Montreal's looking real good. You look at some of the the young players they have on the horizon and say nothing about the players that are already there. They're going to be good, and I wonder what the payback is going to be because you know that in the back of Martin Saint Louis's mind, he's not going to forget about this. Bring back the hate. He's not going to forget about this at all. Speaking of Martin Saint Louis, flattered but. No thank you to Team Canada. Yeah, Team Canada asked him, and I figured they would. I mean, he's uh, uh, he's obviously done a really good job in the short term. And, he's distinguished himself fast, uh, has <laughs> In Montreal, and uh, he's building what seems to be a really good culture there. And they, like Ron asked me, do you know, was it the head coach role? And I don't. And part of me wonders if it was even discussed. I think initially they just said to him, would you want to be on the staff? And, you know, he's been away from his family, and he politely declined. I I don't think anybody would have a problem Mm -hmm. uh, with that answer, but uh, he was approached, and to me, it's a very smart, smart person to approach. Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Okay, other notes that you had on Saturday, Matthew Nyes and the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, obviously, on Saturday night, Nyes really crushing the Everybody feet. there just devastated. Yeah, like that's a tough, tough, tough loss. You, you, they had that game and they, and they lost it. You know, he went back with his, uh, with his teammates, and then he signed with the Maple Leafs on Sunday, I, I believe. So, this got really complicated. And part of it is just the natural grinding of negotiation. Mm-hmm. You know, Jeff, uh, you know, when when your representatives, when your high-powered agents negotiate with Sportsnet, everybody grinds to the best they can, <laughs> right? 
That's why my money makes noise in my pocket. Yes. I like that long, quiet green that you have. So you go as hard as you can or your reps go as hard as you can to get the most you can. And Sportsnet goes as hard as they can to give you the least they can. You know, I think that was going on. But people take that to mean it's bad. No, it's not bad. Like, that's what everybody's job is here. I don't think there was ever a question about Nyes not wanting to join the Maple Leafs. I don't think there was ever a question the Leafs didn't want Nyes. I just think they had to negotiate it through. And I heard it got really complicated. When Matt Murray got hurt and then Yarn Croak got hurt, it got really complicated. And... Basically, because they couldn't put anyone in LTIR, they were kind of stuck. And I think one of the things they talked about was when Charlie McAvoy signed in Boston from the NCAA in 2017, he signed a tryout agreement with Providence of the AHL, and then he rejoined the Bruins for the playoffs when the cap was gone. And I think they proposed that. I think the Maple Leafs proposed that and denies, why don't you go to the Marlies? And then you will go to the uh, NHL when the playoffs start. And I do think that was considered, but it was actually another coach who pointed out to me first, and and then I asked about it, is that like if you're Matthew Nyes and you want to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs and you want to play now because it benefits you to play now and you want to play, how on earth do you think everybody's going to react if you show up for game one of the playoffs and you, they got to put you in the lineup somewhere. Yep. Like that is a no-win situation for Nyes. That is a no-win situation for the coaching staff. That is just a no-win situation, period. So the big battle came over the bonuses. And he won't get performance bonuses because it was going to cause too much problem down the road. I think there was a battle over would he get the max signing bonus. And he did, and he got a max salary. So I think a lot of this stuff about Nice is the Nice is exactly what they need is an awful lot to put on the shoulders. Temper expectations of this for kid. Kids joining the NHL. But I'm excited to see him in a couple of NHL games. Everybody forgets that people were down on him when Toronto picked him. And it shows why you have to be very careful when you make judgments on 18 year olds who've had one bad year. Now, I think there's some fans who are wondering about Logan Cooley. I think he's going to take a couple of days. You know, Faber obviously had pretty much made his decision. Nyes had obviously uh, made his decision. Nyes actually flew back to Minnesota with the team, and then the Leafs set it up where he could fly back to Florida to meet the Maple Leafs on Sunday night. Cooley, I think, wants a bit more time. The, the word is he'll make his decision midweek on the Coyotes or going back to Minnesota. Uh, Lane Hudson as well, Montreal Canadiens, Boston University, going back. Yeah, I'm not 100% confirmed as we record this on Sunday. Last podcast, I think I threw out that I, I could see him going yeah, back. Yeah, I think he's going back. He's leaning towards going back, but it's not confirmed yet. His brother plays there, and, you know, Jay Pandolfo is the is the coach there, and, uh, like, a lot of people really, you know, obviously Pandolfo has a big resume as a pro player, and I think people really like the way that Pandolfo prepares kids. Interesting note about Jay O'Brien of the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, I remember that draft specifically. You do as well. That was 2018. The Philadelphia Flyers had two first-round picks. Joel Farabee they used on the first one, and Jay O'Brien on the second. Some people thought that was a little bit too high to be taking O'Brien at the time, Mm -hmm. but your scouts say you believe in the player. You 
You uh, you make the pick. They will not sign him, and the Flyers get a compensatory second rounder. Yes. So there was a player, Duncan Siemens, a couple big defenseman. Of, yeah, a couple of years ago, there was a trade deadline deal. I think it was Michael Bodker that went from Arizona to Colorado, and as part of the trade, Colorado traded the rights to Duncan Siemens to Arizona. And they didn't sign him, so it turned into a compensatory second-round pick. And basically, it's 32 picks lower yeah. where O'Brien was taken. So nobody loses a pick. Like People were asking me, does the team that signs him lose the pick? No, nobody loses a pick. One extra pick gets added to the draft. And the one thing is, I did say 2023 on Saturday night. I have to double-check all this because I think it could depend on when O'Brien actually becomes a free agent. Because if he's not a free agent in time for this year, it would have to be a year from now. It was pretty clear that the Flyers valued the pick more than they valued O'Brien. I think it's also very clear that O'Brien saw the writing on the wall in Philadelphia. Yep. And now the thing is, he's going to be 23 years old. And he's going to get a chance to pick his team. So I think this works out best for everybody involved that O'Brien gets to pick his team. And Philly gets a, a, another draft choice. Speaking of the Philadelphia Flyers president position, inching closer? Yeah, well, I think... Or taking time? What someone said to me is, I think they're going to start talking to people soon. What someone said to me is that Philadelphia does not want this to be a long process. Now, the challenge here, and you've said this before, but the challenge, and I heard that again this week, but the challenge is that you don't always control everything, Right. It's like you plan, God laughs. You want to get this done, I think, as quickly as possible. But if there's people you want to talk to that aren't available, sometimes that pushes you longer than you want to go. So I think the biggest thing is, is there anybody Philly absolutely wants to talk to Hmm. that they're going to have to wait for? If not, the word I was told was expeditiously expeditiously uh i want to get to a couple of injuries here in a second but um toronto tampa mm-hmm. opening round mm-hmm. back-to-back games no I, I don't think anymore but so i always have to be careful with this one because my corporate overlords or or our corporate our, yeah, yeah. corporate overlords this is all elliot bosses <laughs> they don't they don't <laughs> like it when i ask them schedule questions yeah, I, I don't like asking them schedule questions because then the nhl thinks that they're telling me information that they shouldn't be telling me but i was asking somebody about this the toronto tampa schedule is dependent on the raptors i think the Raptors are in the uh, the play-in, which the NHL should have, but the Raptors are in the play-in. <laughs> Couldn't resist. Could no, you? and they have to win twice. They play Chicago yeah. on Wednesday, and if they win that game, they have to play another game. And if they win those two games, they're in the regular playoffs. If they don't make the regular playoffs, it's a very normal Toronto-Tampa schedule. But if they make the regular NBA playoffs, it's an abnormal Toronto-Tampa schedule from what I understand. One of the things I'd heard was initially when they were doing the grid, and another team told me this, was that there were there was a back-to-back in Toronto-Tampa, and Tampa did not... Not interested? Did not like that. And I think as it stands right now, it's not there. But I heard Tampa was not crazy about the idea of a back-to-back 
against the Maple Leafs. And I think that would definitely benefit Toronto over Tampa, especially with the injury situation. I was going to say, speaking of Tampa injuries, Tanner Geno. You know, they all played the other night in yeah. Ottawa. We were all curious to see who was going to show up to play. And they all played like a circuit chef for the best possible reason. He's coming a dad. Yes. And, and Geno. And when, when I saw Geno get hurt with that collision with Mayfield, I was like, we won't see him until next season. But the way he went down on that right leg that looked was, gross. It was just bad. Now, nobody would say the injury, but I heard that the word I got was it wasn't as bad as it could have been. I think it's ex- incredibly unlikely he shows up for the beginning of that Toronto-Tampa series. I don't know what the likelihood is he plays in it at all, but all I was told was that it wasn't as bad as it could have mm. been, which is great news for him. So he could still come back late in the series and crush Toronto Maple Leafs fans' dreams. That's what every Maple Leafs fan is thinking listening to you say that. Like, I, it's impossible <laughs> to figure out the timeline. I know, I know. I just, I, I, I would be stunned if he played at the beginning of the series, but I just heard, like, don't write him off at some point in the playoffs, depending where Tampa goes. Good news, bad news. Karel Kaprizov's back. Bad news. Joel Erickson. Yeah, back. people told me, like, his. Like I said on air, Brian Spear, the producer, he said he wanted me to check injuries. People told me that the one that was most concerning recently was Erickson X. And again, they won't say what it is, but you kind of wonder if it's fibula, tibia, something like that. And those take a long time. That didn't look good when it happened. No, it's, it's terrible. I know you can't bubble wrap hockey players, and I get it this time of year. Everyone's all sensitive and cautious about it, and you know, pucks don't tickle, and... People say rest, guys, and I agree, but you have to have the cap room to do it. Yep. Like, Boston's called up a whole other team for their game on Sunday night. At this point in time, you can do whatever you want. After the deadline, you can have a 70-man roster as long as it's underneath the cap. Landeskog, your buddy. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about Colorado here. So, Landeskog, Kale McCarr. This has kind of been the, you know, this has kind of been the story yeah. of the Avalanche this year and where they find themselves at the end of the year. It's kind of where we thought they were going to end up anyway. I mean, it's a great success story given all the injuries for the Avalanche, their players, and Jared Bednar. Yeah, like he's done a really good job through all these injuries without the captain all season long. Rantanen, Kale McCarr, like, fifty goals. Rantanen's been great. McKinnon's been yeah. outstanding. Taves, uh, Devon Taves, fantastic. You know who else has been really good? And I don't. He's not going to win the Selkie Trophy, but we might want to park a little place to have a look. JT Comfort, yeah, he's had JT a great Comfort's year. been really good for the Avs this year. Anyhow, um, we'll finish up this part of the podcast. Avalanche injuries. Yeah, it doesn't sound like there's ton of concern around like Makar and the, like that sounds preventative, but Landeskog's not going to play this week, so he's going to go the whole regular season without playing. And I was very careful how I talked about him in the playoffs because like someone said to me, use the phrase when, so you're going to convince he's going to play. My response to that was, it's more like I don't want to use if. Yeah. Because people... Bombs. Yeah. <laughs> I thought when was a better choice for words than if because nobody shut him down. And if you say if, people are going to think, okay, well. It's a chance he won't. You, you've been told there's a chance he doesn't play. And I have not been told that. I know people have speculated that. You know, I have had people say to me they believe this year that Landeskog will not play. But one thing we've learned is don't underestimate hockey players and their will to do things. Yeah. And number two is what might be true the other day may not be true today. So I don't like to guess like that. So before we go to the interview, did you listen to Kevin Bieksa talk about the Norris? 
No, I missed that. Well, it was Kevin was talking, so it's good. You missed it. It was terrible. No, he's anti Carlson for the Norris because of the uh, the his... amount of time he's been on the uh, on the ice for goals against, and he also they're, they're far away from the playoffs. But the one thing we kind of both agree on is that you know if he gets to 100 points and he's at 98, it's kind of tough not to vote for him. It's Brian Leach territory, man. Like it's I get it. I think there's a lot of other defensemen in consideration here too. Yes, but. That's a tough one to overlook, 100 points, man. The one, the other thing, too, is I have to count it, but someone was saying to me, he's like been on the ice for like 20 or 25 empty net goals against this year. That's not insignificant. And, you know, he said they're losing, which is true. When Adam Fox won the Norris, and he deserved it that year, I voted for him. With the Rangers when they missed the playoffs, like to me, you know, that opens the door. We, the precedent is there. It wasn't an easy thing for me to do at the time, but I thought it was the right thing to do, so I did it. But the thing is, Jeff, I like there's a ton of guys out there this year. Mm-hmm. Like this is the hardest vote this year, the Norris. Like, go through it. Haskinen, Hamilton, Fox, Vince Dunn, Quinn Hughes, uh Hampus Lindholm. Hampus Lindholm, Charlie McAvoy, Devon Taves is another one, I think. He's absolutely deserving of it. Like, I think there's a long list of defensemen this year, and I know I'm leaving some names off. John Carlson could probably win it this year because we learned how good a defenseman <laughs> he was. That's if they had a heart for defensemen specifically. Yes. He would probably win that. But, because. but you know, you, you, uh, Dalene is a guy who I think oh, deserves, how do, how do we miss him? De- yes. deserves a look. Absolutely. It's a, it's, it's a really hard vote this year. For me, the Norris is the hardest one. It's, it's the hardest one. You know, I look at Carlson if uh, getting 100 points, and again, I'm going to count the empty net goals. I think if he gets to 100, it's really hard to vote against him. Really hard to vote against him. And I would say and one final thing. Yes. The best defenseman in the NHL is Kale McCarr. Like, he could win this every year. Yes. Well, what have we said about Kale McCarr? If Connor McDavid were a defenseman, he would be Kale McCarr. Yes. And I will say this. Over the years... Games played has been a major factor in my voting. You know, he's going to play, he's going to end up around 60. I've always given the edge, the benefit of the doubt to people who play a full season mm-hmm. because I think it's really hard to play a full season in this league. And I don't think you should be penalized because you played more games. And I'm big in that. It's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one this year for sure. So, Jeff, one thing I want to explain about this Achari interview. Yes. There's one challenging part for the listeners, and that is that Achari explains some hand gestures that his mother, Edna, gave him when he was I was going to say, you're familiar with some hand gestures. Yeah. I get a lot of them from you (laughs) and Oval. So, as this is an audio medium, although the YouTube version will come out later, it's going to be tough for people to do it. So... He's going to refer to, the first one he's going to refer to is like the pinch, or it's also known as like the Italian hand gesture. Okay. Where with, the, with the thumb held up with the two fingers. Yep. And then there's also come on, get going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is wheels on the bus, like come on, get going, wheels on the bus, the wheels on the bus go round and round. Yeah. There's also thumbs up, which is easy. And there's also like throwing your hands in disgust, like this is garbage. We've seen every coach in the NHL do that countless times. So when he's describing the hand signals that Edna makes, have those in your head. 
All right, we'll keep that in mind as we listen to Elliot in conversation with Noel Achari of the Maple Leafs. I don't know if anybody watched the Masters on Sunday, but I'm officially calling that Ekblad's Revenge. Elliot, yet another start to another week. Now, other than the 32 Thoughts podcast, there's eh, not much else really to look forward to. Jeff, you are forgetting about Montana's Daily Deals. Their chicken wings are double-dusted in-house, cooked to a golden crispy finish, and they're half price on Mondays. Uh, Half price? Half price every Monday and sauced however you like them. Well then, head on down to Montana's Barbecue and Bar for half price wings every Monday, the only other thing exciting about Mondays. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. Okay, I heard one story about you and I hope it's true. So play along, even if it may not be true. (laughs) I was asking everybody, what's the quintessential Achari story? And I had a couple different people tell me, if you want to know who he is, there was one time, and I don't know where it was, you showed up to either a practice or a game, carrying your equipment, and you were bleeding. And apparently you had been in a car accident, but you didn't want to be late for practice or the game. You're nodding at me. This story is true. Yeah. yeah. What is this story? It was, uh, I think it was a Saturday, and uh, we're driving to uh, Bridgeport in Massachusetts um, for a game. So this is AHL? No, no, no. This is, I had to have been maybe 10, 11. Oh, wow. And um, if you're driving to the Bridgeport rink, you're on a main street, and uh, you're taking a left on into the, the arena, and... Um, there's a jail across the way, like on the other on the right side of the street, and you're taking a left. And apparently, an uh, inmate had gotten out, so there was searches, and everyone's kind of driving and kind of looking over. And we're we're stopped, waiting to take that left in the minivan. And it's me and my brother in the back. My parents are driving, and one car was just focused on the sheriffs and everyone looking for whoever. And we get rear-ended, pretty good kind of caved in the back of the whole van and me and my brother sitting in the back we had the tv down in the middle middle seat and uh i hit my head on the tv cut my head a little bit like bleeding and like for me like for any kid games are you don't want to miss a game yeah especially if you're driving an hour plus to go to a game you want to play so obviously we wait for the police emt show up and and I'm like, I got to get to the game. I got to get to the game. And I, like, you can't open up the back of the, the van because the back door's caved in. So I just reach in, kind of grab my bag from the back seat, and pull it out. And I'm just starting. And I told my parents, like, hey, the rink's right there. Like, I'm going. And my parents, like, they can't leave. They're, like, trying to figure everything out. And, and I just start, I grab my stuff, keep walking. And one of the parents saw me walking. And I'm like, they're like, get it what what happened they see our van because they picked me up brought me in and they're like what's going on and i'm like nothing we just gotta go we gotta go ended up playing the game scored a couple goals and i don't i don't even remember how we got home to be honest with you if we drove that car or what happened well first of all i didn't realize it would happen when you were 10 years old i always feel terrible joking about it now but that's what people told me about you if you want to know about nola chari a car accident is not going to keep him from hockey <laughs> no 
No, yeah. What did your teammates say to you when you walked in? They were more just in shock, like one that I'm. They're like, "What happened to your head?" Because just bleeding and. Mm -hmm. But kids will be kids. You just, all right, we got a game now. We got to go play. (laughs) I want to talk about you about growing up a little bit. You mentioned your parents in the first answer, and you've talked about your mother Edna and how she was hugely influential in your career. And uh, you've said before that she. I used to have hand signals in the crowd if you weren't yeah. playing well. Like, what were these hand signals? Uh, this one was like, what are you doing out there? Like, that was probably the worst one. Or it's one of those where she looks away, like you make eye contact, and then if you get the thumbs up, you're doing well. And then this is, get up, like, start doing something. And so those were her main, I think, signals and and also the facial expressions kind of gave away how she was feeling. So she was the parent who really drove you through your hockey career. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. My dad was more the very supportive. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't have a bad game. He was just happy. Mm-hmm. I, we, I was out there having fun. And and then my mom was like, what are you doing? You played awful out there today. <laughs> so it was a good balance. And, and you said that when she didn't talk to you, that was the worst. That was, yeah, because it was like you just thought about it. And you're just, you try and talk. She's like, I, She's just like, no. Looking back, it's like, oh, she drove all that way there and back. And it's like, but uh, she was a great support, too. She was my biggest supporter, and I can't thank her enough. Now, you uh, go to Providence College. You never get drafted. But when did you start to think that the NHL possibly could be on the radar for you? You know, I that was a dream of mine growing up, always to play in the NHL, and after, you know, I had a hiccup my freshman year, I had to sit out red shirt. And, um, and then after that sophomore year, it was actually really good that I didn't have to lose a year of eligibility. Mm-hmm. So I knew I had my four years and, and I took that year basically off from hockey. But I think after my first actual playing year, I think that next year, I was like, a lot of talk about people interested. And I just like, just wanted to continue my game. And, you know, I think, Coach Lehman and Providence does a great job of getting guys ready for the NHL and the way he coaches and, you know, just how defense first. And I think that's helped me specifically, you know, being my role of maybe starting in the D zone for a lot of draws or just being relied on to keep pucks out of the net and be be good in the D zone and, you know, blocking shots. And, you know, he was big on every finish, every check. So I, I think he... He kind of helped me mold mm-hmm. me into the player I am right now. and But, uh, yeah, I think after that first year, I kind of thought I could do that. Now, do you remember the first team that ever came to talk to you or anything like that? Uh, I did go to Calgary's development camp mm-hmm. after my first year playing, and then I think that kind of was like, wow, okay, I, I can play. I can do this. And I think that gave me a little more confidence going into next year and I would say, if anything, Calgary was the first to kind of give me a shot to when I went to their camp. Now, people talk about you from Providence was the victory over Eichel and his team that year. What do you remember about that game? Yeah, it was a wild game. Um, you know, everyone remembers the big, we flipped the puck in and goalie dropped it. But, uh, you know, going into it, Lehman had pre-scouted and said that uh, – He'd let a lot of funky goals in like that from off angles or just kind of, you know, just flips at him. He just, I don't know, whatever it might be. But uh, it was a great game start to finish. And 
for us, I mean, Jack being the player that he is, and he's unbelievable. He he had won, I think, every award that year, mm-hmm. every championship he possibly could, except the national championship. And um, I think for us, that was you know, I mean, not to take away from the whole BU team, they were they were great mm-hmm. as well. A lot of good guys came out of that school, like the, that year, and mm-hmm. who they had on that team. And but uh, we just kind of we found a way, and uh, it was a big win for us and our school. And, it was a great, great day. Somebody told me that the amount of talk on the ice that day between those two teams was unbelievable. Do you remember much about it? Uh, I just know, I mean, we had good rivalry during the year. You know, I think they may have had it two to one because I think we played them three times. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was two, I don't know. But or we split. But we knew those guys. We played them. We were in the same division or same league, Hockey East, and uh, – we knew it was going to be a battle, and uh, with our team, and we were, I think, a little more grittier mm-hmm. um, in a sense of like, and I think that's credit to Coach Lehman, just kind of making we were going to play hard every shift. And but uh, I don't remember the talk back and forth. <laughs> I was so wondering, much. did you and him have anything going no, with each other? No, no, him and I were, you know, I was more just trying to keep up with him and <laughs> stop him. But you know, I think he had a couple goals, or at least one goal that mm-hmm. game and again he's he's a great player and he won every everything he possibly could except that so it's unique for us to when you played buffalo or vegas would you ever say to him jack you won everything you could except no. that so i have a tattoo on my back national championship and i work i work out with him and skate with him sometimes in the summer <laughs> and he's like hey don't take your shirt off around me I, and like but he's he's a good sport about it he's he's a good guy mm-hmm now you could have gone anywhere. Now I heard one of the reasons you ended up in Boston was John Ferguson was working for Boston at the time. He lived in Providence and he saw you quite a bit and he really pushed the Bruins to sign you. Was there anybody else? Like was there a big decision for you to make between where to go? I think once Boston was on the table, being from New England, I think it was kind of a no brainer. And especially with Fergie kind of in my corner being a PC guy and being an assistant GM and being in Providence, like I think that was a good fit for me. And the style of play that they play, I think, helped me kind of elevate how I, I play and, you know, and be able to play with some of those leaders like the Bergeons, the Charas, Marchands, all those guys. I think that helped me as a player on and off the ice. And, uh, you know, being able to watch those guys win a Stanley Cup in 2011, cheering them on to be able to eventually be in the locker room was special for me. And, again, being in, from New England and playing in New England, uh, you know, couldn't get much better than that. What was your first Marchand moment? Uh, he was he's, – he's an awesome guy. Yes. He's, like, typical. You hate to play against him. You want him on your team. Yes would give you the shirt off his back if you needed, like, mm-hmm. that type of guy. Um, my first – he was always just great to me, like, joked around. And, you know, I think uh, Krejcic was one that kind of threw me for a loop. He Awesome guy. Mm-hmm. Like, I got to know him really well. And um, the one thing was when I first got called up, and I didn't know his dry sense of humor at the time because mm-hmm. I'm young, I'm new, and I just want to kind of – Be quiet. Yeah, yeah, and we do a drill and – uh I don't know if I missed the pass or I gave him a bad pass, and then he looks at me and he goes, that's why you're in that color and I'm in this color. <laughs> Krejci said that to you? And I was like this, just like didn't know what 
what to say or just okay. I just like I want to go back to Providence. <laughs> but he, he joked around, like big smile mm-hmm. after. But like I didn't know that at the time. And he's he's a big jokester and and he's a great guy. Like and once you figure that out, you can give it right back to him. And he's but that was my like first moment. I was like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> what's going on? But no, it was funny. Tell me the story about Keith Yandel at Frank Vetrano's wedding. <laughs> that was a great time. So Frank Vetrano got married a couple summers ago, and um, we were at his golf course. And so they had these cabins on the golf course that the Yandels, the Ekblads, and myself stayed at, all in the one cabin. And, uh, you know, we golfed that morning of the wedding, had a great time on the course, and then, um, so there's this giant hill going up to our cabin and we had golf carts. Like you could just take the road, walk the road easy. Keith thought he could at, I don't know what time it was, thought it would be easier just to walk the hill. Was there alcohol involved? There was a little alcohol okay, involved. Just checking. Yeah. Thought he could, uh, get up the hill. And, uh, next thing you know, like we're watching from the wedding and like, what's Keith doing? He's trying to go up the hill. Next thing, like, and there's a ton of fescue, probably hip high. And next thing you know, we look, look back, like, where'd Keith go? We're like, we don't see him anymore. So we go down, check Keith. He's laying in the fescue. <laughs> and so we're like, we get him up, get him back up to the cabin. I don't know why we ended up climbing up still. <laughs> we were determined to get him up there. But, uh, yeah, he went up to the cabin for a little and then popped back out and made it back to the wedding. And uh, But uh, finding him in the fescue was, was the icing on the cake. I wondered about, um, there was when you got to Florida, there was a question about Yandel staying in the lineup. What do you remember about that team meeting? Because I heard you guys really fought for Yandel's streak to continue. Yeah, it's an incredible accomplishment, you know, to play in so many consecutive games and and when things were getting going for camp and stuff and seeing that he's on the he's the seventh, eighth D or he's not in the group in like preseason, we were all kinda like, what's going on? Like we had a little group and we thought we were like, This isn't right, like there's no reason why he should not be playing. So some of the assistants went to coaches, GMs and was like, Hey, he's gonna play. So we basically were like, We want him to play. He's we need him. That next day he was in a back in the like 60s and uh he was back out there and didn't miss a game but uh we just felt that he should have been out there with us like he's a big part of the team and he brought the energy every day even when this was going on like no one knew because that's just the type of guy Keith is like he's he's not going to put a a sour face on he's going to come in be happy goofy like he always is and uh you know and that's why he's such a good locker room guy and we felt that we need him here last one What's the biggest thing you've noticed since you got here about this team? Just how on top of everything they are. Anything you need, you have. You know, I think Kyle's done a great job with just making sure that we have everything that we need to succeed. And I think that helps us and goes a long way for the players. And um, just how family-oriented it is. Like, it's just a big group, and everyone just wants to make sure everyone's good. And, and I think that's that's really really important and for 
guys, that, especially for coming over from trade, they were very adamant in getting families here to make us feel as comfortable and kind of make the transition as smooth as possible. And the locker room too, the guys have been great. And I think we have a special team and I think we know that and, uh, you know, how close they are. And they just kind of, we jumped right in and just kind of took off. And we just want to make sure we, we we're all focused and having a long run here. Thanks so much, Noel. Really appreciate it. That's Noel Achari of the Toronto Maple Leafs in conversation with Elliot. And uh, a special thank you, Elliot, to Keith Yandel. Uh, Taking us out today, a band from Leeds uh, who formed in the early 2000s. Wild Beasts have garnered a great following but called it quits in 2018 after releasing their sixth studio record. If you ever got to see the band live, you know their show was basically a theatrical performance with Hayden Thorpe's falsetto as the cherry on top. From their 2009 album, Two Dancers, here's Wild Beasts with all the King's men on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view, and they all had to stay somewhere and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences... People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.